Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the SNSW Podcast, the Boston Bruins have officially been eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll discuss if drastic moves are necessary, as many members of the Bruins' core face an uncertain future. We next discuss the Boston Celtics, who are headed in the complete opposite direction, as they take a two-games-to-nothing lead over the top-seeded Toronto Raptors. Finally, we break down the Boston Red Sox disastrous 2020 season and break down the trade deadline moves that could help with the start of the rebuild of a once-thriving franchise. All that and more, but it's all relative. And welcome into episode four of the SNSW podcast. I am Craig D'Alessandro, executive producer of the SNSW Network. If this is your first time finding us, welcome. We're thrilled to have you here with us. The SNSW Podcast is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in our description box below, as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. If this is your first time finding us, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you generally get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. On this episode, we have Bob Kelly, Michael Marcangelo, and our host for this episode is Joe Malkin. We are recording today's show on Tuesday, September 1st, to be published on Thursday, September 3rd. And Joe, the focus of today's show is the NBA and NHL playoffs. We'll touch on some baseball as well, but as we lead off with the Boston Bruins being eliminated in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, a lot of the conversation around them has been that this may be the end of the road for this core group of players. If that's true, I think history will remember them as a team that was really good, but should have been great. They won one Stanley Cup in 2011. They lost two Stanley Cups in 2013 and 19. They won two President's Trophies. They lost in the second round in both of those occasions. And they had five Game 7 losses. They were all on home ice, with one of those being with the Stanley Cup at the TD Garden. I'm, I'm blown away by that intro. Great job. Uh, my name is Joe Malkin. I am joined tonight by Michael Marcangelo and uh, Bob Kelly. We said it before we started recording. Guys, this is kind of a, a uh, an old school uh, uh, lineup here for the SNSW podcast, which is, is exciting. We, we do miss Rayshon and Dave tonight, but uh, we're, we're going to try and wrap up the Boston Bruins season and, and talk about the uh, Boston Celtics who uh, just took a 2-0 lead against the Raptors. 
uh, and we'll be playing uh, game three Thursday night. But guys, uh, welcome in. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good, Joe. I'm, I'm super excited to, uh, to talk about uh, the Bruins. I mean, I, I just can't believe that, that it's over like this, but I think it is, and I'll, I'll kind of save that for when you, when you intro us into the actual topic. Bobby, what's going on, man? Much, guys. How we doing? Um, I'm, I'm with Mike on this. Um, I, I, can't, I, I can't even start to begin to describe my feeling of disappointment with this team, and it's something that's been going on, you guys know, for the past 10 10 15 years um I, I just can't believe this is how it ended but like like mike said we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a minute sure you know and, and let's i mean let's kick it off there let's talk about this series and what happened what went wrong um you know we all we all know what happened in the first round of the playoffs um Tugarask, uh leaves the boston bruins opts out of the rest of the season uh, yaroslav halak is of course, named the starting goalkeeper. Uh, they signed Dan Vladar, I believe it was mid-game. Uh, I can't remember which series it was, but they, they signed him in like the – they announced the signing of the contract uh, in like the, the second period of whatever game that was. Uh, the Bruins win kind of convincingly in game one, three to two. I mean, I say kind of because it wasn't I mean, it's not like they blew the Lightning out of the water. The, the Lightning are clearly a very good hockey team because in game two, I think, was where I realized this season was probably either going to go seven games uh, or the Bruins were just going to be knocked out in five or six. Uh, reason being, Tampa forced overtime in that game uh, and then ended up winning in overtime. Uh, and I know we all watched game three which was just an, an absolute railroading of the Bruins. And that, that's where I, I want to go back to is that game two, game three. What, what happened here, guys? What, in your mind, what, what went wrong in this series for the Bruins? So I, in my opinion, I think it all started with that game one. Um, I know we, we touched on it last week when we talked about this, but if that game went another minute, that's a tie game. And I think that's really where it started tilting downhill from there. Uh, the Bruins did everything they could in game two to keep up with them. Uh, they did. They went to overtime. They lost in close fashion. But even in that game two, you, you could feel the Lightning were just a better hockey team. They were executing better. Their passes were crisper. Um, they were crossing the blue line faster. They got out on their Blakes. They were, they were playing their hockey game, and the Bruins were just trying to keep up. Game three was just an absolute shellacking. Um, Vladar came in net and, and it was funny. My buddy texted me and said, uh, it's, it's Darth Vladar time. And then within seven minutes, he texted me and just went, never mind. So it was just kind of like, you could just feel the momentum of this team going out. And, and it is kind of fitting the way it ended with this team, because this is what's been happening with them. Like we said, since I can even remember opportunity after opportunity, and they just either don't put the puck in the right place, they run into a hot goalie, or or they just run out of steam, and you can see it looks like they have cement blocks on their feet. Did Craig gave us the, the rundown to go off the, the point you just made there. This is kind of the, the theme with the Boston Bruins. Craig ran, ran through it in the intro of their resume uh, since they won the Stanley Cup in 2011, and it's not been friendly to go along with, with your theme here, Bob, and I'll let you get back to your point. And I guess there's a, 
I was going to wait a little bit longer to get into this, but what, why, you know, maybe we should wait. So let's hold this question to the end, but we'll tease it a little bit. Is that what they call a big market tease? What, why, why has it been going the way it has? Well, before Bobby goes, I just think it's really interesting that a, a person that a week ago said that the Bruins were going to be on their way to a Stanley Cup victory after their game one win against Tampa Bay is now saying that this is exactly what he expected from the Bruins. But when you think about it, the Bruins gave Tampa Bay everything they had, and they barely squeaked out of a game one win. If that game goes 30 more seconds, it's over. The momentum was totally in Tampa Bay's way. And I think, the, I think they just ran into a team that was faster that was way more skilled and that really forced uh, the force, uh, the forecheck on Zidane Ochara, who was, you know, 43 years old, couldn't quite keep up with the people that he used to keep up with. Um, and it just really showed our glaring gaps uh, of talent. And I think, you know, we can talk about this a little more. The fact that their number one goaltender gave up on them the series before, greatly impacted them. Bruce Cassidy said it uh, last night in an, in an interview that it is weighing on the players. If your number one guy gives up on you, how does that not eat away at you when you get down after, after a game two loss, after a game three shellacking? How do you not let, let it sink into your head that, well, he already left. Maybe he was onto something. And, and I think, you know, to, to go even further off that same exact point, when it comes to what Marshawn said after the game too, you heard him, he said, it, maybe this was all just a waste of time. Um, and, and I do think, Mike, you're right, that that did get in their heads a little bit. Uh, to go back to, you know, my highs and lows of being a Bruins fan, it, it's, it's just something that when it comes to this team, those highs are so high and they look so good. And it's something that, you know, again, this has been the trend when they're on, they are the best hockey team in the NHL. And they've been that way for the past 10 years, but when they're off, it's the most frustrating. They're missing the passes. They always make, they're missing the goals. Brad Marchand misses more empty nets than any hockey player I've ever seen in my entire life. When he's off, when he is on, he, he, he could do anything, but it, it just wasn't happening this series. And again, that seems to be happening more often than not with this team when it boils down to it. Marshall showed glimpses in this series, uh, and it, it was at times refreshing to see him play the way he was playing. But going back to the, the Hurricane series and to what Mike just said about um, Tuka Rask leaving the team, he gave up on him, and, and I myself – included there was a lot of people that were like well screw them you know we'll win despite them right yeah and i know that's kind of where you were gonna go but you know we'll win despite them uh it happened at first and then it seems like the wind was completely taken out of their sails and i don't know if it was because of the bad play but the the bruins you know again and i i thought they had won a little more handily in game one than, than Bobby thinks they did. Uh, and, and I think it's because I expected Tampa to come in and be as fast and skillful as they were. So to me, that was kind of a, a, a handled game for the Bruins. And game two just really turned it around. And game three cemented it, that maybe it was just all a waste of time. But what mental effect – did did that have did Tuca leaving have on the goaltenders? That that's one thing I I don't understand. I mean, isn't that your time to shine? 
I think that right now we're in a situation where Tuca being there would not have changed the outcome of this series, right, at all. Because the, the Tuca that was there in this, uh, this postseason in, or this bubble could have get, like, couldn't have cared any less about what was happening on the ice. What it did do, though, was show you that one of your leaders didn't care that this was the last year of, of the run that they signed up for in 2011. It showed you that, you know, I understand that there's a whole lot of things happening out in the world right now. I get it. But if we just talk about in, in, in sports terms and your team terms, he quit. And he didn't care about, how, about it being Chara's last stand. And I just want to like go back to something that Bobby said. You said like when, uh, when the Bruins are on, they're the best team in the NHL. Based on what? Aside from 2011, when has that ever mattered or meant anything? It hasn't, and that's and that's the problem. That's that's the biggest problem with this team. And, and again, it's it's been going on for years. You go back to last year where they went to Game Seven of the Cup. They're on. They're on. They're on. That Game Seven, they were off, and that game was over within that first period. Uh, you go back to when we lost in thirteen. They were on. They were amazing. They went to three overtimes with the Blackhawks. They come within three minutes of forcing that Game Seven. They gave up that one bad goal, and it is over from there. It, it's just with this team, it feels like they, they, they're they so resilient sometimes, and then sometimes they are the softest hockey team. And I mean, I can't say I've ever watched because this is honestly the only core I've ever really experienced as a diehard Bruins fan. But to – to your point, Joe, the, the ripple effect of, of Tuca leaving was that it made Halak have to play far better than he actually is, mm-hmm. right? He is a very good number two. When Tuca's in that room, they have one of the best one-two combinations, but there's a reason he's not a number one anymore. That's true. So, yeah. so not only did – I mean, we can talk about Tuca leaving until, like, the cows come home, but what he did is he put his team that was already probably not the most skilled team, not the fastest team, behind the eight ball even more because now the one thing that you could always turn back and say that they had was a number one elite goaltender, and he took his ball and he went home, and he, and he left Halak there just standing in the crease making saves that he didn't have any business making last night, and he made some incredible yeah. saves, but yeah. he should have never been put in that position. So the, the series, the, the Bruins are, are bounced in five. And we're, we're talking about a 43-year-old Chara, a aging Bergeron, really an aging goalkeeper in Tuka Rask, and aging more mentally than physically in, in a lot of ways. Is it, it seems like he doesn't want to be here. So my overall question here is what's next? But to the point of what Bobby just said, it's kind of how they've always been. Uh, sometimes they're resilient, but a lot of the times they're not. And, and Mike, to go with your theme, why did Chara stick around this long? Chara is not a, a soft guy. He's a competitor. We, we know he's a competitor. So why did he stick around so long if they were, uh, for lack of uh, anything else, a regular season team? So why, why did he stick around so long? Because I think there was enough of that core from 2011 left that made him believe that they still had a shot. Like when it was nut cut in time, that enough of them could stand up and, and do the right and, 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 and get one more. Um, Chara was not a liability. 
right? I mean, Never. by any stretch of the imagination, right. he, he did as much as he possibly could for his age. But, I mean, I think that this team, we regard it as one of the best big bad Bruin teams because of what they did nine years ago and less about what they've done recently. I think coming into this year, they were one of the – I mean, coming into the playoffs, they were one of the favorites. They were the best team in the regular season. Um, but but uh, I, I do want to go back to that as a Dano point because there's one thing that I will never I'll, – I'll never understand is how this man kept this level of play for this long. I remember in 2013 when they lost that cup to the Blackhawks, I was already calling for Zidano's head. That was in 2013. He looked slow. He reinvented his game and turned into still one of the best defensive players in the National Hockey League, and he's 43 years old. That man has been the best defensive player I have ever seen on the Bruins, and he's been that way since 2011. And I think that's just a testament to, like you said, how competitive and how amazing he really is. This is one of the saddest moments I've ever seen is seeing him skate off that ice last night. He didn't even wait for his teammates. He he was so dejected. He was so you, – you could see it in him that he knew that this may be it, and he just left the ice. And it, it, was, it was a very sad moment for me. Because when, when you think about it, right, like if his career in Boston ends like this, he just skated off the ice for the last time after losing four straight games to a team with no fans in attendance. Like I, I can't imagine like the, the feeling, like if this is actually it – how alone he must feel because he did everything he possibly could to make that team better. There's no re I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence that McAvoy is becoming more of a leader and, and a better defenseman because Chara is still there. Corey sure. Krug is a better, is a better defenseman because Chara is still there. Chara might be gone now. Krug's going to be gone. Cause we're not going to pay him what he wants. And so this, this was the last year of that, of that entire run. I, I, I'll go on the record and say it. If they do make a run at a cup again, it won't be because of the, of, of the core guys that are there. They're going to have to do a lot to reinvent that team and reinvent that roster. So that, that's the next point is, is this the end of the era, which I think the three of us can agree on. This is kind of the end of that 2011 core. And I want to go another step further after this, but here's the list of Bruins free agents uh, following the 2020 season. Anders Bjork, Jake DeBrusque, uh, Joachim Nordstrom, uh, Zdeno Chara, Matt Grizzlick, Tori Krug, Yaroslav Halak, Solarik, uh, Goncha, Coleman, Richie, Sanishin, Miller, Zaboro, uh, Lagasse. I mean, yeah, sure, once you get to the bottom of that list, like Zach Sanishin probably doesn't belong here any, any, anyway, but Kevin Miller's on that list, Tori Krug, Matt Grizzlick, Zdeno Chara. So, one question is, and, and Mike, you answered it already, uh, but Bobby, do they spend the money on Tory Krug, and is he worth it? Given the track record of the Bruins in the past, they don't pay him. Uh, they're not in the business of paying offensive defensemen, it seems like. Uh, I think McAvoy is going to be a different exception because I think McAvoy is a whole different ball game altogether. But we've seen in the past Dougie Hamilton – I think they follow that route. I don't see Tory Krug back in a Bruins uniform. Um, I don't see him being worth the money that he's going to get because he is going to get top dollar as a great offensive defenseman. I just don't think he's worth it considering all the other holes that we do need to fill. So I don't see him back in a Bruins uniform. 
So looking at this list real quick, it is the one-year extension for Halak is for 21, and uh, Anders Bjork signed a a three-year, $4.8 million extension. So those guys are tied up for next year, uh, and Bjork for 21, 22, and 23. Mike, what are your thoughts on Krug? You've kind of already given us them, but expand on it. So I think, like, you try and and pay him as much as you possibly can. Um, I think there's going to be a team out there that gives him – a deal that's like four years for $35 million. And I don't know if you can do that, right? I don't know if you can do that. However, if you can trade that softer than shit goalie that you have in Tuka Rask and free up some cap space and get some, get, get some draft equity, then yes, you pay Tory Krug whatever he wants to stay and you build that defensive core around Krug and McAvoy and you get young again. You stop relying on David Krejci and, and I love Patrice Bergeron, but he's 35 or 36 years old. Right, you yeah, have to get other three. people in there. As much as I hate to say it, every time we get to the end of these playoff runs, you, you, you hear all these stories about how beat up that core was every single time. So uh, it is time to get some youth in here. But I just don't see it. I don't see Tory Krug being worth that money. I think you're better off spending it on another top-notch goalie, spending it on another winger for Pasenak, spending it on another top-notch center to match on that top line with them. Because, I mean, it, it is time to break this up. So I just think Krug's another one of those pieces where, you know, what are we doing here? Let's get younger. Let's get faster. Let's change this up. Also, one last thing. I don't want to go too far back into the into the time vault here. If you had Tyler Sagan, you would have been able to compete with Tampa Bay. There is a real possibility that Tyler Sagan is going to win a cup before you do again. And imagine all the talent that you had, and you go to two more, you can't win one, and this guy is in Dallas with the 3-1, uh, with the 3-1 series lead right now. Um, they got trounced the, the other night, the five goals in the first period. But he's playing electric. And what did you get for him? Do you remember what we got for Tyler Sagan that, that's still here? is isn't much. Nothing. Nothing. Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson was the big piece of that trade. That, that was the, 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 the big person for that trade. And he hasn't been here in five years. And he was- we drafted Dougie Dear. Hamilton. So let, let me expand on, on that conversation right there. The, the Sagan trade is in a lot of ways what started a lot of the tumble in my mind um, to where we are now. And maybe it's a loss of faith in management. Um, And I'm not going to go as far as Cam Neely because I think Cam with his standing within the organization, he's been around Boston for a long time. I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the moves he's made, but at the same time, you can't make a Sagan trade or a Sagan-like trade and then not try and wrap up your guys for the future. I'm with Mike that you you got to pay Krug the money that he wants, but here's my hot take on this one. I think Bruce Cassidy's time in Boston is over. I think he should be let go and they need to bring in a new coach because I think part of the problem starts with him. And I've said this since the beginning. And I know that the big thing when they hired him was that he was already in the organization. He was in Providence. I mean, he's, he's been an NHL coach before, but he's a system guy in that way where they wanted him to come up and carry on basically what um, uh, Claude Julian had done here. But 
that got stale. So we've, we've been watching kind of the same team for the last nine years in a lot of aspects of, of the game of hockey and, and Boston Bruins hockey. I think he's got to go. If you don't have Bruce Cassidy as your coach, you do not have the young emerging, emerging talent that you currently do on the Boston Bruins. Remember Claude? He would rather play Yamir Yager than, than, than give any rookie or young emerging talent a chance. I mean, if, if, listen, if we're going to rebuild, and if this is really the end of it, blow it up and, and, and really focus on, on you. Dallas did it right. They, they offloaded Louis Erickson uh, for Tyler Sagan. Ben, all those guys. And, and look, they're, they're still in it. Years later, they're back. They're, they're still in it, but you talk about why, if you're going to get rid of Bruce Cassidy, then you wouldn't have the young players here. Well, we're still talking about an aging Bruins team, aren't we? We're talking about a 30-something-year-old goaltender who just jumped ship. We're talking about uh, Patrice Bergeron, who's 35, David Krejci, who's in his early 30s, Zdeno Chara, who's in his 40s. Sure, they have Charlie Coyle. They have Tori Krug. They have these young guys, but you're still talking about a core that's big. So you, it's already going to be a rebuild. So why not rebuild at the coaching position? I mean, maybe this is my personal bias. It's kind of like the John Henry effect on me. But I think if, if you are going to blow it up, blow it up at that aspect as well. Bring somebody in who's, who's going – because I don't think Cassidy works with the younger guys. And I know he's an AHL guy, and I know he coached in the minor leagues of hockey, but I don't think – he's the guy for that job yeah no i I, i'm with mike on this one joe i have to disagree with you here just because when it comes to cassidy he brought that skill element back to this team he brought that playmaker element back well you remember under claude how painful that dump and chase approach was he gave up he gave up tyler sagan to pursue that dump and chase all right you bring in cassidy now we have debrusque pasternak um, we have McAvoy excelling. We have all these young playmakers who are excelling. I, I, I'm with Mike where I think you really double down on that. You get these young playmakers in here. You, you, you develop them underneath Cassidy, and they become the, the stars that they can become. But if they're excelling and they're performing, why did we just get knocked out in five games against the Tampa Bay Lightning when we're, we should have all this talent, this fast, uh, dynamic, tactical talent? But now we're sitting here praising the forty-three-year-old, and so so what? What's that conversation, and and why? Why would we stick to this guy? What is what is he actually proven? Because again, we're talking about a core that, besides Sagan, I mean, it was all built under Julian, wasn't it? So, what what has he actually done? If we're praising the forty-three-year-old defenseman. Chloe Julian and Bruce Cassidy are coaches. They do not pick the players. They are given the players by Peter Shirelli or Don Sweeney. Peter Shirelli placated into Chloe Julian's system where he just did the, 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 you know, the, the dump in and chase across the boards. That's why they get rid of one of the best pure talented players that Boston had ever seen. Cassidy has the ability now, and so does Sweeney, to walk that fine line of making sure that the new talent, the young talent, learn from the core that did win the cup and can bring that level of intensity and skillmanship and gamesmanship to the next generation. But again, didn't you just say, didn't we just agree that that era is over? 
yes, they're not going to win with this core anymore. Right. So if they're not going, if they're not going to win with this core, and they need to get rid of that core, what core does Cassidy now have? Would you rather have Patrice Bergeron teaching the next Patrice Bergeron, or just trade him away and and hope that they can learn how to do it like he did? Sure. Who's the next Patrice Bergeron? So so. I think I think we're looking at it wrong though. It's not the next core. It's the core that's there's there's two cores with the Bruins right now. There's Pasternak. There's DeBrusque. There's McAvoy. Well, hang on. Let me stop you there. Pa- Pasternak is the guy that couldn't practice at coming out of the the break on COVID because he was unfit to play. He did do that, but again, that's that youthfulness. That's that that. I, I mean, I'm trying to think. Of- Sagan likes to party too, but right. Sagan would have helped us a lot more than than. Um, yeah, but uh, what if we – that's a whole different con- – what if we had Sagan and Pasternak? And if- oh, we, if we had Sagan and Pasternak and that Louis Erickson trade is never made and Claude Julien is let go earlier and Bruce Cassidy is brought in earlier, we're having a completely different conversation and they've probably won this series against the Lightning. And if Sagan's not traded, there's probably no COVID. So <laughs> – I think that that's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. But secondly, <laughs> I think that right now it's on Don Sweeney to pick the uh, the better, younger players to put around the remainder of this court that you have locked under contract. I don't want to trade Patrice Bergeron. Right? I don't either. I don't want to overpay for, for Zidane Chara either. So I think what you have here is I think if you – I would be willing to move Krejci. I think he's been old for far too long. But I think that you can just get younger players around Marshan uh, and Patrice Bergeron. And again, get Tuca the hell out of here and get and free up some cap space. Draft well because Sweeney has been hit or miss. He has some good drafts. He has terrible drafts where he had three picks in a row. And there wasn't one pick that really made that team that year. And didn't he also trade a great pick to the LA Kings or a great goaltender or to the, to the LA Kings? So it's not Bruce Cassidy's fault. He can only do what he can do with the players that he's given, but they should focus more on young, skillful players moving forward. So then d- does that mean that Sweeney and Neely need to go? And I'm not saying that we need to get rid of someone, but what I'm saying here is, is you're talking about the core that from 2011, which we're now living nine years in the past. We're talking about Shirelli and Julian, who have been gone for – X amount of years, four four years. Well, they fired Claude. I think wasn't it mid season? Was that it was during the Patriots parade? Oh yeah, that's right. It was during the Patriots parade, so that they they didn't catch any flack for it because they were trying to push a uh, a fast one. They backed us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So good, good for them. Uh, so, all right. So let let me let me spin that because I I think we can. All, I think I can say that you guys have faith in Bruce Cassidy and I can understand that. And I think you can say that we probably shouldn't necessarily have faith in the young core yet. If we have guys like Pasternak who can't come back fit to play uh, and, and is are doing whatever they're doing off the ice in the middle of a, a, of a lockdown. So what needs to change in order for Cassidy to, and, and I, and my contrary to popular belief, I do know how organizations work and that the GM is the one that brings in the players, but if the GM is bringing in the players and we're, and again, we're talking about Bruce Cassidy, who is notorious for developing players, right? That is why they brought him up because they wanted to change. Julian was the, the old guard who went with what he had. And if, you know, Again, I said it during the uh, championship rewrap, which, by the way, 
uh, part two of the championship rewrap is out on uh, anywhere you find your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, so go check out part two of the championship rewrap, the 2001 Patriots. Get episode, uh, part one if you haven't listened to that uh, as well. Um, in, in part two, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. You get to hear Mike cry. Um, so, I, you know, guys, I listen to that, and it, it doesn't sound like I'm crying. When I'm crying, it sounds like I'm doing something else. That, but moving back to the Bruins, so you were faking it, by the way. I know, but I wasn't. I really was, and I I listened to it today, and I said, you know what? Wow, that does sound like I'm faking it, but I really <laughs> wasn't. I was just trying to not let it all gush out. So, um, ADD plug, by the way. You just <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I threw it in there. I. I <laughs> Craig reminded me beforehand to get it in there. And now I'm like, Oh wait, good, good timing. You got it in. I did. Um, so <laughs> back to the Bruins. Uh, we talked. So Bruce Cassidy, he, he develops players. We know he can develop players. Julian Oldgard, you know, like, like Herman Boone, it's like Nova Kane, do it until it works. Right. So, if, if we're saying that Cassidy has done a good job developing these players is what I'm assuming, you know, that's not necessarily my opinion, but that is yours. If we're saying that he has developed these guys, the old guard of Chara Bergeron, well, ag- agreed, Mike, Bergeron shouldn't be traded. He, he may not be a first liner anymore. Who knows? I mean, I could be wrong there. I'm not going to, we'll see what happens in, in 20, uh, 2021. So what has to change in order to get Bruce Cassidy and these players to that next level? I think you have to hit on your draft picks. I think you have to hit on your develop, your developmental. And I think that you have to continue doing what he's doing with, with like the, the DeBrusques of the world. Jake DeBrusque would have never seen the ice under Claude Julian. I agree. It's a damn shame because he's a pretty he's a pretty good player. He'll only get better with more reps and with learning from other great players on the team like a Bergeron, like a Marshan, and again, like consequentially, you know, like Chara and everybody else. So if the trades are that bad, Bobby, is it does Sweeney have to go? So that was actually gonna be one of my points is I think Sweeney, if if there's one executive, one Tom person that needs to go, it is Sweeney. Be yes, he has drafted some of these great players that have come in here, made some great trades. He brought Charlie Coyle in here, which I think was the best trade I've ever seen the Bruins make besides Nathan Horton. Um, yes, he's made some great moves, but the bad moves he's made and the bad draft picks he's made haven't just been bad. They've been awful. Bringing Nicholas Ritchie in here cost them game four. There's no doubt about that. Nick, that, that hit Nick Ritchie hit, uh, put on – I can't remember exactly who he put it on, but that that turned the tide of that game. Um, so I think Sweeney is the guy you need. If anyone needs to go, it is Sweeney. On to another point, the one thing that this team since 2011 has been missing, and that's something that I think needs to be a huge priority this offseason, is getting a real all-star competitive championship goalie in this town. We haven't had it since Tim Thomas. I know Tuka Rask has been amazing, but when it comes down to it, when the game is on his shoulders, he hasn't been there time and time again. And I think that is, and I know this kind of circles back all the way to the beginning of the conversation. That's the one piece 
that we are missing is Tuka Rat it, it is is a All Star Championship caliber goalie. It's it's weird because he has all the stats that prove that he's a great goalie, right? But in the in the big situations, you just say, "Okay, Tuka, don't lose it for us." Whereas in 2011, you said, "Tim Thomas, go win it for us." And that's the difference. That's the big difference: is don't lose us for don't lose it for us versus win it for us. Jean Sebastian Giguere, Jonathan Quick, two goalies that brought teams that had no business winning a Stanley Cup no business they were eight seeds brought them all the way to win that championship because these guys just have balls they know how to win big hockey games and that's something that we haven't had that's the priority of this offseason everything else is 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 very important but getting someone in here that can win you a championship as a goaltender is definitely the number one thing for so just to summarize that segment, this Bruins team will never win a Stanley Cup if Don Sweeney is your general manager. And contrary to popular belief, Joe Malkin does actually know how organizations are built and, and, and run. It's, it's true. I don't, I don't know how. It must be all those video games I played. Well, it, it, to, to that Sweeney-Cassidy conversation again, this, w- this may have been a mistake by, by Neely at the top. And, and I don't mean in the sense of, of keeping these guys. Well, it is what I mean. It's exactly what I mean. He brought up Don Sweeney from Providence to be the head coach here, right? He brought it. Remember that it was like mid season. He brought him up to be the bench coach. And then like a few weeks later, that's when they got rid of Claude. So then, uh, and that was to get him acclimated into the, into the, the locker room, which I think was kind of the plan. I think everybody saw it coming. But when Shirelli left, Don Sweeney came in. But Don Sweeney was the assistant GM before he was a GM, wasn't he? He was already here. So, again, we're staying in-house to try and accomplish the same thing. It just it seems to me like Neely had this dream of 2011 living on, and he almost got there. Bobby, you said it before. Like, he almost got there so many times. We're, right. We're talking about, you know, uh, Eastern Conference Finals. We're talking Stanley Cups, President's Trophies. I, I mean, so close, within reach, but never quite got there. And that's why my opinion was that, you know, Cassidy is the guy that where they need to change. Be, but if you can, if you can get – the core to a point where you're now elevating those younger players and you can find, and my next point on the goalkeeper was going to be, we'll draft one, right? But if Sweeney, to go back to what you just said, Mike, if Sweeney is the GM, he has had a terrible run of drafting goalies. I mean, he traded a great goalie. His last name was Jones. I forget it. He traded him away and he was – an amazing goalie for a couple of, for, for a couple of years, but like, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, <clears throat> but to hell with that love. You can mean it, but all of this happened on your watch too. You, he doesn't, he doesn't, we don't get to not get uh, blame him just because he's cam Neely. He brought a Stanley cup to Boston. I get it, but he had the opportunity to bring three. I said it at the beginning of this. That's where I started. I, before I even said Cassidy or, or Sweeney, I said, you know, is Cam Neely the problem? So you're absolutely right. It, it happened. It's happened on his watch. Why, why are there not three Stanley cups? Why don't we have 14 rewraps to talk about instead of 12? You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's the problem I see. If I'm with you guys, get younger. And if Cassidy can prove that continue to prove that he can, 
develop that young talent and change the core from the old guys to the younger guys, then it, it's it's Sweeney. I mean, they got to draft better. Just do what Detroit did. I mean, the, the Red Wings were a perennial play, playoff team because what they did is they had a young core back in the 90s, right, that got old, and they always got people there to elevate the core that made them better but also made those younger guys better. So they kept doing it for 20 years. Like it, I, I know I'm, make, I'm, I'm probably simplifying it, but it's, it's not like it hasn't been done before. They right. just had not been able to do it in Boston. It's not rocket science. I mean, it, we, we talk about it like we could just step into the, you know, into the garden and do the job that these guys do. We, we couldn't. I mean, we don't have the connections. We aren't as smart. Uh, but, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be rocket science for these guys, right? I mean, you've had the core. You've had the ability to do it. So, I hate to say it, but do it. Um, final final thoughts from you guys on the Bruins before we switch gears. I think that um, if this is truly the end of, of Zidane O'Chara in Boston, I mean, his the fan base owes him a, a debt of gratitude because we can talk all, all day long about, you know, what the team should have done, what the some players that didn't show up. That man played with a, with a, with a fractured jaw, wired shut at age 42 to give his uh, team the best chance to win. So he was a true warrior. I don't think he, I don't think he gets enough recognition Never. as like some of the pillars of the, the Boston sports players over the last 20 years. But he was that he was the, the Tom Brady of, of the Boston Bruins. And I, I think that it's a travesty that it ended this way. Hopefully if he, if he comes back great, but if not, Go win a championship somewhere else because Big Z, you deserve it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do. I just got goosebumps remembering <laughs> played with a with a broken jaw in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals last year. I've never been more fired up in my entire life than when I saw Zdeno Chara skate on that ice last year in Game Seven. I'll never forget. I was like, "This is, we're gonna win." We didn't, but regardless, um, which which I think just sums up the entire point I've been making the whole time is when it comes down to it, this core hasn't gotten the job done. I think it is time to shake up one of those big pieces and get another championship goalie in here. I don't think the draft is the way to go with the go- with the goalie because I don't think, as much as you've been talking about blowing it up, I don't think this window is over. I just think you need to shake it up and get, whether it be Lucic, whether it be, it's not Marshawn, whether it be Krug, whether it be someone, Someone needs to go. You need to make a shake-up move. Uh, and by the way, that goalie's name was Martin Jones. And by the way, Lucic has been gone for three years. And by the way, uh, former former uh, U.S. Olympic goaltender Ryan Miller is a uh, free agent this year. I mean, not that I want to bring him in because he kind of fell off with Buffalo and hasn't done anything in Anaheim. So, um all right, so switching gears to one team that has disappointed us over the last week uh, to a team that has done pretty much the complete opposite in the Boston Celtics, who uh, now hold a two-game lead over the Toronto Raptors uh, after winning game two of that series, 102-99, and game three uh, is on Thursday evening in the bubble in Orlando. Uh, so, hey, Bobby, uh, we know you're a big fan of those Toronto Raptors there. The the Celtics have a, a two-game lead. Uh, he's not really, uh, but 
the the history with Bob over the last few weeks has been uh, that the the Raptors are the best team in the NBA, uh, even better than the '95 Bulls. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Bobby doesn't believe that. But Bobby, the the Raptors are down 2-0, and you know, I, again, I, I'm not. I don't want to put you on the spot here or, or blow up your spot with this, but you've been a big proponent of the success of the Toronto Raptors uh, while in the bubble in Orlando. What's what's going on? I mean, the Celtics have looked pretty good. They've they're you know they they swept the first round. Now they're up two zero on the Raptors. Yeah. So I, I was actually talking. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. Is I think uh, as much as I do like the Toronto Raptors as a basketball team because I think that they are a good basketball team. I think the Celtics team is just too much for them right now. Um, everything the Raptors do, that's their strong point. The Celtics have been doing better these past two games. And the Raptors' weaknesses, which are length and guarding the wings, the Celtics just are on another level than them. And I think that that has shown so much in these last two games tonight specifically. Uh, and, and it was the end of that first half that really made me start thinking, wow, the Celtics really are just that much better than them at this point. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the series. Still think it's going to go seven. I'll stay with that take. But you could see just how much better we are at this moment than that team. I was wrong. And, and I mean it, I was wrong. I mean, let, let me just give you a little bit of an explanation here. The reason why the Raptors have lost the, the, the opening uh, two games to the Celtics is because they don't have that intangible that we do. Marcus Smart is a difference maker. We were down 12. Everyone in our group chat was saying, you know, it might not be over, but it, it's probably over. And he drops five straight three-pointers. That was of a sum. Hasn't he been that guy his entire career? And is we're so fickle with a guy like Marcus Smart offensively, defensively he's he's been lights out, right? He plays such great defense, but offensively he's slightly streaky. But then he has that that run where he hits five straight threes, and you just know that. I, that's just the the type of dude he is. He, he knows how to turn it on, when to turn it on, and can make a difference. The, the Celtics only scored, I think, 17 points in the third quarter, right? 13 of those points were, were Jason Tatum. And all the Raptors could do was just go up by 12. Like, they they were clicking on all cylinders. We were, we were shooting, I think, two of uh, – was it like two of 12 from the field in the third quarter? And they were only up by 12. Like, if, that, if those roles are reversed, Boston's up 20, and the Raptors give up. But it, there's just something about this team, and maybe, it, maybe quite simply it is that I was wrong, and it is Marcus Smart, but there's, there's just not something – there's something on this team that will not allow the players to give up. So it's not – so it is Marcus, yes. And Marcus has always been there. He's always been that staple of – you know, even last year against the Bucks, that, that game five, I've never seen a more despicable game of basketball from a team except for Marcus Smart. So he's always been that guy. In my opinion, the difference of what takes Marcus and puts him on this pedestal is the addition of Kemba Walker. I think that has been the thing that has taken Marcus from 
the 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 intangible the defense guy to this other animal because of that clutch factor that he knows that he has on his shoulder not only that jason tatum has gone to a whole different level so those things combined then you bring marcus smart into this mix who is just the I never thought I'd say this. He is right now my favorite basketball player on the planet. That man is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think sooner, sooner or later, sorry, Joe, I think sooner or later that the, the no, the no big man is going to catch up with the Celtics unless Williams can really, really elevate his game and, and be that, that force of nature, but it ain't going to be in this series. We talk about coaches that can develop, right? Isn't that kind of Brad's MO here too? We've talked about that since he came to Boston in 2013 from Butler. He never had a big man in Butler. Like that that wasn't their style there either, right? Now he comes to Boston and again has all these young guys and all the the, the Kyrie Irvings of the world aren't here. Uh, Gordon Hayward, who in, in – I mean, the way I see it, he, he holds this team back. I mean, Gordon Hayward, I'm, I'm sure he's a great guy. Uh, he is a, uh, a world talent, but I don't think he fits here. I think he fit better in Utah, but that's b- besides the point. But the, the point I'm trying to make is if he's never really used a big man and he's great at developing, who's going to get him? You know, and, and that's going to kind of lead into one of my next questions. But when do you think that catches up to them, Mike? I mean, I, I think if you run it, if, you know, if we're thinking really like next level, I think the heat really scare me. Like if, if, if they get through, but if, if we're talking about like in the actual NBA, like finals, you, you can't beat the Lakers without a big man. You cannot stop Anthony Davis with, with, with Thice. Like he won't, he, he can't do it. You, you, you just can't. Now maybe you can make up for it with your wing play, but I think that sooner or later, unless and I, and I do think Williams has the ability over the next couple of series to really catch lightning in a bottle and elevate his game. And if he does that, we'll be okay. But the Raptors, yes, Bobby, they're they're a fundamentally good basketball team. They are. But Abaka and Gasol, they, they it doesn't it doesn't matter what they do. They're not going to be the reason why the Raptors beat the Celtics. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that I am surprised about with this Raptors team right now is they're not capitalizing on the fact that they are bigger than us. I don't know how many times I see Marcus all just hanging out by the three-point line and shooting threes when it's like, dude, what what are you doing, man? If that was the Celtics and they had a size advantage and, and the guy who is five inches taller than every single other player on the court is 25 feet away from the basket, I'm I'm throwing my TV out the window. So I don't know what they're doing, um, but I, I agree that the only time it catches up with the Celtics because of how good the wings are, because of how fast they are, because of those intangibles that I thought the Raptors had, but apparently that's what the Celtics have. Because of that, it doesn't catch up to them until they get to the end. I, I remember we, we talked about that when we were talking about this going into this series, Bobby, and you mentioned the, the speed of the wings and I can't remember it. I'd have to go check the tape, but I was trying to remember if you had said that the Boston wings, Boston's wings were too fast or Toronto's wings were too fast. And for some reason it's jumping out that you said Toronto, but you still believe this is going to go seven games. So what does Toronto have to do in order to get this game, to get back into this series and, and get it to seven games? 
So there's two things that, that really stick out to me. A was that size comparison I just made. These guys have right. Pascal Sakam. Pas- I can't even say it. Sakam. Uh, they have Marcus Gasol and they have Serge Ibaka. Those three guys need to out-rebound the Celtics, which was the same uh, recipe that the Sixers had to do. So I'm not sure if maybe it's just the Celtics have figured out the fact that they are smaller and they figured out a way to evolve past that. If that's the case, then watch. That's called Marcus Smart. Let me – very possible. <laughs> but if that's the case, then watch out NBA. Uh, and then when it comes to what else they have to do is you saw it in the first half. It was why they were succeeding. They need to for- force turnovers. That is the only way they can beat the Celtics. If they're not going to use their size, they need to use their straight outright speed because when the Raptors start running, they're a tough team to beat. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. For the sake of my take and my dignity, I am gonna say seven games. But I, I, it, that's tough. If if this can play continues for the rest of this series, it's not going seven games, and we're gonna have a very funny segment making fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> so the the Celtics are up two zero, and I think what they have to do to your point, Bobby, the point you just made of. To go seven games, the Raptors have to do something different, but the Celtics also have to be able to keep their legs underneath them, right? They've won six games in a row. They won four against a a bigger, probably more physical 76ers team. Uh, They're going up against a Raptors team that is probably has similar speed to them, uh, but they do have a a bigger uh, four and five than the Celtics do. My thought is it goes five and the Celtics win, win the series uh, in, I'm sorry. Yeah. Five. Sorry. Celtics win in five. I had to get my thoughts straight there, but I can see it going four if the Celtics go up three Oh, because like Mike said about game one, if the Raptors go down 20, they're going to roll over. Right. And I think if they go down three games after Thursday night, I think they roll over, and, and that's that. It's also pretty simple, right? Like, don't let Marcus Saul have four fouls in the first quarter. And I think, like, I, I think that's a credit to Brad Stevens and the Celtics. I think that they are targeting their big men and, and trying to follow them early to make sure that, that they're going to be playing off when the game matters in the third and the fourth. But I also think that now it's, it's in the Raptors' head that the Celtics can score it well. So they're going to try and put up threes. Like, you know, uh, we're going to have Marcus all doing his, ba- his best uh, Rafe LaFrance impersonation and just shoot threes, even though he's seven feet tall, when he should be under the, uh, under the rim. I think it's in their head. I, they don't, and, and obviously they don't have Kawhi. This team is uh, – I'm going to just repeat DK Sizzle's take. This team is not the defending NBA champions because the, the best player on that team is not there. I absolutely agree. Uh, I mean, you need Kawhi Leonard. And I think Bobby even said that in the last series uh, for Toronto against Brooklyn. I mean, it, it could have been a different series if they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. He is one of the, the best players in the NBA, right? So they may have the trophy, but they don't, they don't have the player. So Celtics are up 2-0 in this series after tonight. Um, in the West, the Lakers and the Clippers are, are waiting for the, uh, either the, the Rockets or the Thunder. Um, the Clippers are waiting for the Nuggets or the Jazz. 
the other game in the other series in the East, uh, the Miami Heat against the Milwaukee Bucks. In that first game, Jimmy Butler dropped 15 points in the fourth quarter, 40 overall, to help Miami to that win. We've talked about him a number of times already, but I'm going to drop Eric Spolstra's name here. Does Eric Spolstra and the Miami Heat have what it takes to knock off the Milwaukee Bucks? Uh, I, I think so. I, I will also say that Eric Spolstra is a, a better head coach than Doc Rivers. That was for Rayshon Buchanan. Hopefully he, he hears that and smiles. You can't, you can't say that while he's not on the podcast. But like this this <laughs> this team and, and Butler in particular, I think he's the perfect fit down there. And that, that team reminds me of, of the Celtics, a lot of the Celtics, and that they're scrappy, they fight, and they're really, really, really fast. I think that, you know, I don't see a world. I don't see an NBA world where uh, where where Giannis isn't in it, right? I, I just I just think that the refs will still do enough to keep them into a game seven. Um, but I, the Heat scare me far more than the Bucks do. Well, and I, I think that's partially because of what you just said about the speed, and that's what what Bobby said about Toronto, right? Is the speed scares him, and that's why he thinks Toronto can push this game, this series to seven games. Milwaukee, while they have a Tenacumpo, they they're not as fast. They're kind of big and lunky, right? Or they, they don't move as well. They they might shoot better, but Boston can outrun them. And as I said about Marcus Smart, where, where Bobby said that Toronto needs to out-rebound, and he's not sure where the Celtics got that. I mean, going back to Marcus Smart, he's not the biggest guy on the floor, but he plays big. I mean, he's, he's not afraid to get underneath the, the basket and, and pull the ball down uh, if he needs to. We've seen it so many times. And I think that's another testament to Brad, as Mike said. I mean, good time to give this guy a five-year extension, right? I completely agree. When it comes to the Heat, I don't think that they have a chance against the Bucks, so I guess I don't completely agree. I disagree. Um, <laughs> I think Giannis is going to take this series over. Again, I think he is too much for Miami to handle. I, I think uh, Adebayo is a special player, but I don't think he has it in him to stop Giannis over a seven-game series. Uh, I think Milwaukee is a tough matchup for the Celtics. Uh, what it comes down to, to me, is if, Giannis has that that championship intangible that we keep talking about. Um, you saw it when it came down to Butler going off in that fourth quarter. There's been lots of quotes going around about how Giannis didn't ask to cover Butler. Isaiah Thomas even came out and said, "Is championship players Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, Kawhi would would want to cover Jimmy Butler in that that situation." So to me, I think that is the biggest thing that if you're going to exploit anything on the Bucks, it is the fact that they do not have that championship caliber. They don't have that intangible that the rest of these teams have. Um, and I think that's the thing you need to go after with them is if you get on them, you need to put your foot on their throat. And, and I don't think, like you said, Joe, I think it's the same thing with the Raptors. I think when you get on them, they will roll over. And I think that's what we saw last night when it comes to Jimmy Butler and the Heat. I also think that, like, if you really look at, at the at the at the stat sheet, like Andre Iguodala played 19 minutes, only scored four points. If he starts playing his level of basketball, which I don't know what it is right now at his age, but that team is scrappy, man. I'm telling you, like Jay Crowder, Iguodala, 
Jimmy Butler, Adebayo, Dragic, Robinson, like they can, they can scrap. And I think if you make, if you just make it your mentality, like, you know what, I'm going to make uh, Giannis beat us. He's going to be the only thing that beats us. If you can get Chris Middleton off, off his game, I, I think I think this game, I think this series goes seven, and if it goes to a game seven, if the refs are fair and balanced, I think that the Heat win. I just don't I just don't see that. I really don't. As much as I love Spalestra, as much as I love the Heat, uh, I think Jimmy Butler is an absolute baller. I wanted him in Boston for years. I I don't think he has. We're taking him over Kyrie. Yeah, facts, facts. Which was a that was a rumored deal for a while. If you remember, we we gave almost. A lot to get Jimmy Butler. If you have Butler, you don't. You either don't have Tatum or or Brown. So, which like, is why it was good that they didn't make the trade. So, as much as I love the Heat, when you're relying on players like Tyler Harrow and uh, Jay Crowder playing 34 minutes a game, I think it's going to be tough to beat a team that has the best player in the entire world. Uh, again, I love Splash. I think he's a great coach. Mike, I agree with you. They're a scrappy team, and that's been my argument for the Raptors since day one is they play team basketball, which is exactly what the Heat do. But the X factor is Giannis, and I don't think Giannis is going to have another game like he did in game one. And I think because of that criticism that he was receiving throughout game one where he wasn't guarding Jimmy Butler, he didn't take on that assignment. He didn't do what was asked as the best player in the world. I think he steps up to another level. And I think in game two, you see like a 40-11-8 and eight line from Giannis and the Bucs are going to win by like 20. I'm going to read this stat line right now. You ready? And you, you, you just tell me, Bobby, what team this is. They shot 46% from the field. They shot 38% from three and 92% from free throw. Who was that? It was the Heat and they won. Milwaukee shot 50% from the field, 45% from three-pointers. So it wasn't, there wasn't this, this whole gap or lapse in, in, in offensive play. They actually played worse than the Bucs, and they still kicked their ass. So when we talk next week, we're, we're probably going to have um, at least close to an end of these series. The West will be locked up for at least for the the um the semifinals in the west because they're still in the first round out there um what do we think the east looks like when when we get back together next week because i'm going to tell you i think it's it's boston and milwaukee in the conference finals my hot take is going to be Boston versus the Heat in the conference finals. And, I, and you know what? I think Boston's going to win this. Uh, I'm going to say in five. I said six last week, Boston in five. I, I feel the same way, Mike. I mean, if, if Toronto can't win game three, I think, it, I think it's in four. Uh, but if they win game three, it'll be in five. I think I, I'm with you, Joe. I think it is Milwaukee versus Boston. Um, I think that, like I said, Giannis is just going to be too much when it comes down to it. Miami's going to put up a great fight. I think they're a really good basketball team, uh, greatly coached. Uh, like we said before, I think Spalestra is one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, I think Giannis is going to be too much. Uh, and we get a rematch of last year's semifinals. Um, and we see what a difference maker Kemba really is against this Bucks team. So 
to we we've gone through the NHL and the NBA. The the Bruins are are out. They're headed home out of the bubble. I'm sure they'd rather almost stay there, except for some guys that clearly want to go home. Uh, the Celtics have a 2-0 lead on the Raptors uh, going into Thursday night. And one thing we haven't touched on much uh, at all so far in the SNSW podcast, which is odd for this group, uh, is the Boston Red Sox in baseball. And this was going to be my, my, final, my final word, but I kind of want to bring it into a conversation because um, I was talking to somebody about it the other day, and I kind of want to get Craig's thoughts on this as well. Uh, yesterday, the, the Boston Red Sox uh, on trade deadline day traded away uh, Kevin Pillar, uh, Josh, Os- Josh Osich. It's good because I clearly can't say his name. And basically brought in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, and Mitch Moreland uh, uh, two days ago. And based on the teams that they traded him to, which was the San Diego Padres from Mitch Moreland, uh, Osich went to the Cubs and Pillar went to the Rockies. Um, a lot of prospects and I think that John Henry it kind of, it's almost going back to the, my, my thought about the Bruins here, Mike, and I, I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but they've now changed uh, the president of baseball operations or whatever they want to call high and bloom uh, after Dave Dombrowski got the boot last year. I see this as a, not a panic move because I think we all knew what was going to happen with the Red Sox this year because they, they weren't very good coming into it. Chris sale was injured all the, the normal narratives, but I think right now it's at a point where they're trying to rotate it and bring in the younger guys, the prospects and rebuild the minor league system. I think you build that team around Xander and around, um, and, and really, I mean, that's endeavors, right? I think for now though, Again, maybe a hot take. The the Red Sox have killed my love of baseball for now. There's there was no reason why this August, given that they started in freaking July, should have been an August that had games that did not matter, and yet they still did. So I think um, you know what Dombrowski gutted our farm system. We all knew that he was going to. Everyone knew that. That's what that's that's just what he does. Now you have a chance to, to rebuild. And if you do it right, I mean, I think that you can get back to a point where you have a, a team on, on the field, you know, like the 2003 Red Sox that people really, really enjoyed watching. They were kind of, they were underachievers, right? They never really won anything, but they were a fun group to watch. You're sprinkling some veterans here that didn't do anything elsewhere, David Ortiz, and maybe you build around them. But I, I think for now, this, we all knew that this season was going to be a dumpster fire. I thought, you know, in our group chat, again, I was wrong. That's number two. I thought that they were going to go 31 and 29. They might not win 25 games. They might not win 20 games. They're, they're currently at the time of recording this, they're losing to the Atlanta Braves four to two in the sixth inning. And if they lose, they'll go to 12 and 24, um, which would put, again, go, it would put them at 20 and 40. Uh, for the projection on the season, which is something in our group chat that I've always sent out to you guys every day, because it's funny to watch. And, and, and I don't mean funny, ha ha. I mean, funny, like we, we knew it was coming. We knew that this was going to happen with this team. I mean, the series of events, Dombrowski gone in the middle of the season, they, they don't tell us who they're going to bring in as the, the GM. They 
bring in Hyam Bloom from Tampa. He's not even named the general manager. He's given whatever made-up title John Henry gave him. And they don't do much of anything at the beginning of the year. And somebody, I think it was Bobby, it was either Bobby or Dave who came up with the conspiracy theory that John Henry already knew what was going to happen with COVID. And that's why they didn't do anything in the offseason, which, of course, is probably another ridiculous take. But they didn't do anything, right? So now all of a sudden we're sending the guy – I mean, Kevin Pillar, I said this in our group chat yesterday, Kevin Pillar didn't even get to unpack his suitcase, and he's gone, right? He was brought in six months ago, and see you later. And, and that was one of my favorite signings of the offseason. Uh, you get rid of one of your best hitters in Mitch Moreland, and Mike Lake, you said, uh, clearly, hopefully, it's them building around the young talent. What you just said there encapsulates everything that is wrong with the Red Sox. When you have to get rid of your best hitter, Mitch Moreland. Yeah. You had Mookie freaking bets. And that's, that's the, it's, it's funny. Isn't the way it's, it's so depressing. Like Mike said, it really just took, it took away, it took away my love for this team because of how all this was handled. I, I listen, I agree with, with unloading Pilar. You signed him for a one-year contract for a filler with, with coming Mookie. You get two pretty solid prospects. That third baseman they got from San Diego is pretty good. I can't think of his name at the top of my head. You actually got something from him. That's a great move by Bloom. I, I, I Hudson Potts. Yeah. Exactly. So, now, I've actually heard his name coming up through systems for a long time. He's been on the top 100 prospects list for quite some time now. I think like two, three years. It's just a hell of a baseball name. It is a great baseball name, too. Ours in it. But wait, so so it, it's just the way that all this has been handled. Uh, so you go back a year, two years ago, like I said in that blog post I did, right? I was on top of the world. This team, this this isn't where we were supposed to be. That's the problem is we had it set up to be good for years we had the core we had the best player i've ever seen in a red sox uniform surrounded by one of the best shortstops i've ever seen in a red sox uniform one of the best third basemen i've ever seen in a red sox uniform two of the best pitchers i've ever seen in a red sox uniform and one of the best closers i've ever seen in a red sox uniform and here we are on pace to not even win 20 games in a strike in a covid shortened season so this is why real quick i have a problem with john henry this is why I have a problem with John Henry is this conversation we're having right now where it's so many things he does with this organization are reactionary. And yeah, you know, Mike, you, we've had this conversation a million times. I get it. There's, there's a, a it's cyclical, it, it, but I'm, it doesn't get old when it, and, and I, the world series don't get old, but it gets old seeing the team finish last, you know, not make the playoffs at all. And it's like, oh, well, next year we're going to go and we're going to win the World Series. And it's like, well, at least be competitive and, and give us games in August that matter, even, even in a, a shortened season. My second point, to the Mookie Betts uh, point that you were trying to make there, Bob, without saying his name, the problem about Mookie Betts, no matter what you did, no matter how much money you offered him, he didn't want to play in Boston for whatever reason. I, I don't know the guy personally. I haven't had a conversation with him. But my personal opinion and belief is that he just didn't want to play in Boston. So you weren't going to keep him anyway. So maybe maybe this is now the, the, the brainchild of John Henry. Maybe he knew that and he said, so maybe I'm underestimating the guy because now I'm starting to convince myself that he's a friggin' evil genius. But 
he he trades away they trade away bets right after getting rid of Dombrowski maybe they knew they just knew from the beginning Betts wasn't going to come back like hey we're going to offer you this arbitrary contract right around sort of the money that you would get no matter where else you go um, nope you don't want it okay Dombrowski out who are we going to bring in we're going to bring in this high and bloom guy from Tampa who has been notorious for building up the system in Tampa and Tampa has had some pretty good teams in the last couple of years I mean they've made the playoffs they've been competitive they had and this isn't a joke about the, the COVID season but they've had no fans in the stands down there and yet they're still winning games Kevin Cash has been a, a fairly good manager so he brings in high and bloom because what did he want to do in 2000 2002 2003 he wanted to bring in billy bean so i mean it's it's always been his manifest destiny to bring in a guy that's a money ball guy and when he can't do that he brought in a guy like dombrowski and said okay let's go win now okay now he loses his core guy right bobby that's kind of what you were just saying is they had one of the best outfielders in the game one of the best hitters in the game one of the best closers in the game two of the best starters in the game and now they don't now they, now they lose one of those guys, and they realize that Chris Sale, love him, mean it, is made of, of paper uh, and can't stay healthy. And it's probably his pitching motion and how tiny the guy is. But So now, Bet's gone, Dombrowski gone, and I'm going around in circles, but you bring in High and Bloom, and now this is what the, the plan is. Right. And Mike said it, it this is this is good. We gotta rebuild it. You bring in Hudson Potts, uh, you bring in prospects from Colorado, Chicago, and San Diego, which do notoriously have very good minor league systems, and they can't and the re, and then you go, Well, how come those teams aren't notoriously good at the major league level, with the exception of the Chicago Cubs? It's because those guys can't get to that level before they get poached by another team. So that's my thoughts. And now, again, now I think that Henry's an evil genius, but th- this is my problem with him. And Betts wasn't going to stay here re- regardless of what happened. And that's why now we see High and Bloom making these moves. I have such a problem with that take about Betts wasn't going to stay here. You want to know why? If you, if you truly think that, why not make him an offer that he couldn't refuse? They didn't even try. You, you know what? If you, if, like, so everyone wants to say like this argument is, oh, he wouldn't have stayed here anyway. How do we know? We heard the same crap from Lucchino when Lester Well, but we don't. But we don't. Just just to to, to expand off that, we don't know. But he very well could have had a conversation with John Henry and said, listen, man, like, I just – I don't want to play here. You're telling – so you think – so when it comes to him playing, L.A. is just as big as a market as Boston, okay? Yeah, but it's not – as. but the the media is not as on your rear end as they are in Boston and New York. Is it 10 years, 300 million is what he got, right? Somewhere at 400? We offered him a hundred million dollars less, For, but two but two years less. So the AAV was close to what it w- would have been anyway. And also at that time, that was the second highest, biggest contract in the history of baseball. Listen, so what it, what it comes down to though is that this guy is the best player I've ever seen in a Red Sox uniform. He's the best baseball, pure baseball player that we've ever seen. And Bobby saw Ted Williams play. I did. I did see Ted Williams play, right? That's how old I am. That's how old we're getting. That's how long we've been on the air. Sunday night's post rap. But so when it comes down to it is like, in my opinion, you should have done everything you can to keep this guy here. You're one of the biggest market teams in baseball. It's not like you were struggling for the money. It's, it, it, it's like what Mike said. They didn't even try. Well, Mike, also, go, can, yeah, Mike, go ahead. Can we please be done with the Jackie Bradley Jr. experiment, please? 
Oh, I'm so done with Jeff I love Green. him defensively. I love him defensively, and in and in the playoffs, he learns how to hit. But yeah, I'm I'm Look, no no no. I I, I agree with you. Like I, he, I like he, him. He I, learns how to hit relative to what he does in the regular season, or he learns how to hit like a major leaguer because this thing is, is it, it's gone off it's gone off the off the deep end. We need to get rid of him. You need to get rid of Benintendi. Yeah, like that's another one. I all right. That's a, I mean, that's a whole different topic. What happened to this guy? What happened to Benintendi? I don't know, Craig, Joe, if you guys my, if you guys have any explanation for this, but this man has fallen off a cliff. I think what, he hit his ceiling. What, but it's not even he hit a ceiling. He's back to his basement. This man is a different baseball player than he was two years ago. I but don't that know. may have been his ceiling. I mean, we've seen guys so many times – in, in in every league, right? That they come out uh, on fire, but they're they're good for a couple of years. I mean, you know, a Patriot equivalent. I mean, love the guy. I think he still plays pretty well in Tennessee. He was hurt last year, but Malcolm Butler. I mean, he's known for one play and had one and had a great year. He had a great year that year. So, and I can see Mike wanting to disagree with me again. Mike Mike has the the disagreement voice or the disagreement face, but. I, I think it's kind of on that level is that Benintendi just hit his ceiling and there was just nothing left. How about we compare him to Jacoby Ellsbury? I'll just say that Ellsbury's ceiling was higher, but there was all of this thought, all this pomp, all this circumstance that Benintendi is going to be the next young power hitting outfielder. And he's not. Well, Mike, I, I'm curious to because I, I cut you off because I, I wanted to just th- throw that in there about bets. But go back to your point about bets, and and when you said we don't know if he wanted to be here, we we offered him 100. I I, I just want to I want to complete that thought. I just think like you know it, it's sure we don't know what bets has said to John Henry, but we also know for a moral certainty that John Henry did not offer him 10 years or 12 years for 400 million dollars, right? So the argument that says like he would have stayed or he, he wouldn't have stayed no matter what we paid him, we don't know that. And we heard the same crap from a different leader of the organization with John Lester when they lowballed him. So the argument is whenever these people leave or they get traded, well, no matter what we would have done, we couldn't have kept them. How about you try? I don't believe that about Lester. I believe if, uh, you could have given Lester a, a lot more and he would have stayed. I don't feel that way about bets, but let's say let's, let's go in our, our time machine here and say that they did offer bets an offer. He couldn't refuse. Right. Okay. So now you keep bets. What happens to Bogarts? What happens to Devers? What happens to even uh, Vasquez? Cause Vasquez has actually played all right this season for, for the offensive guy he is. But what happens to those guys? Are they able to keep them? And I know you say, well, they got all the money in the world, but we know how they feel about the luxury tax. Xander signed previous to all this bad stuff. I, oh, I know. Xander signed two years ago at a, at a rate where you knew that this dude wanted to play in Boston. He loves it here. He loves being the X-man coming up through the system. He loves being here. So I don't think that was ever on the table for X to walk, which is why when I did, oh, it's not a matter of walking, it's a matter of them not being able to afford them. Right. Well, that's why when I saw any rumors with X on the name, I will walk away from this team if they trade Xander Bogarts. I will. I swear on my life, I'm done. I will be done. If they Here's- trade Xander Bogarts, he's leaving. But Bogarts, he'd be fine with. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Here's what you do. And again, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist. Yeah, I'm not a rocket scientist, right? But why don't you find a team like you did back in 2012 and you get rid of Chris Sale, 
you get rid of Jackie Bradley Jr., you get rid of Benintendi, and you find someone to take Dustin Pedroia's contract off of the hands of the Boston Red Sox. And now you have cap space to keep your young, talented core and build around them. And I think that's what Haim Bloom is going to be challenged with here. And I'm, and they came out with the, the news the other day, and I, can't remember, I think it was right before the Moreland trade. They basically said, anybody's on the table. Come, come and get them. Give us an offer. And that makes me wonder what that room was like because when they fired off the, the Osage deal and they, they fired off the Moreland deal, like th- some of these deals were happening kind of quick. And it makes me wonder what kind of calls they were fielding. And I'm sure they said the news. And then let's say, I, I don't know, the Yankees call about Bogarts and they're like, no, nah, man, like, we're, first of all, no. I mean, whatever you're going to offer us just isn't going to be good enough. Sure, he's on the table, but you'd, you'd have to give us, like, judge and, like, 10 prospects for, for – and I know that that's preposterous. But everybody was on the table. So Bloom didn't get rid of those guys who we all agree probably need to go. So that's going to be his challenge in the offseason because nobody's going to – right now, nobody's going to take Pedroia's contract – very few teams are going to take sales contract. Ben Benintendi, they're going to look at it and say, well, what are we going to pay for a, a AAA guy? But, but Ben Benintendi is one of those guys. Maybe, maybe whether he wants to be here or not, maybe he could thrive in a smaller market. We've seen it so many times. That's why, like, again, like you, have to, you have to make it worthwhile for a team to take those trash co- uh, contracts like the Pedroia and, and like even, even Chris Sale. But if you package like a Ben Benintendi and a Jackie Bradley Jr., who I've been hearing about his potential for so long – and you send him to Arizona, who knows? Maybe they take him. And then maybe you have, again, this is all theoretical because they already, they already traded Mookie Betts, but just imagine for the next 10 years, your 3-4-5 is Bogarts, Betts, Endeavors. And that's, and that's going to be my last point on this, is that was the dream. That was the dream. When I, like I said in that blog, when I went to bed after we won that World Series, I had dreams about 10 years from now, hearing batting third for the Boston Red Sox, Mookie Betts. Batting fourth, Xander Bogarts. Batting fifth, Ref. And that's gone now because of what's happened over the last year and a half. A, 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 and, lot, of, a lot of what goes on in baseball, and we've seen it as we've, we've gotten older here and we've watched the game more. We, we're not seeing the Derek Jeters anymore. We're not seeing that. And I think when you find a guy like Xander Bogarts, who to me is kind of an old school ball player, right? Like this guy, this guy grinds, like he, he's gritty. He wants to be that guy that sticks around. He wants to be that guy that stays somewhere for a long time. And it's hard to find those guys. And, and really, you know, there's not too many teams that, that had that in the two thousands, um, or, or even within the last 10 years, but the that New York Yankees team that they had in the nineties where they had, you know, Posada, they had Mucina, they had Pettit, they had, you know, even Clemens as a part of that, but he, he, you know, uh, Jeter was a part of that. And you just don't have those cores anymore in baseball, not like you used to. And that's what we need to do. And I think if, if somebody's going to do it, you know, I kind of have faith in High and Bloom with what he tried to do over the last couple of days. I just have one last point, and then I'll shut up, I promise. Maybe you should stop striving to have the Derek Jeter and just settle for Roberto Alomar. 
right? Because he was pretty freaking good. And just get players like that because you had it and you let it go. And I won't forgive them for what they did. They can still fix it, but they have to be willing to move uh, uh, from these pieces that have quote unquote potential and just rebuild it. Not to go off on a Roberto Alomar tangent. (laughs) Fucking love Roberto Alomar. The, it took us an hour and 25 minutes, but we had the first F-bomb drop. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Roberto. Oh, All right. That's two? That's two? All right. Who dropped the other one? Was that Bobby, too? It was Mike. Oh, wow. Mike, you feeling all right? He didn't drop an F-bomb, but he dropped a... Yeah. It was a bomb. It was a bomb. So, to, to that point, Mike, and I, I just want to, you know, if they can find that core and they can get some young guys in here that actually want to play, I'd be okay with a bad season as long as it's fun to watch, right? I mean, I think we can all agree with that. Um, I I would much rather they go and win a World Series or be competitive, but I don't want to finish last in the East. If they're finishing third behind the Yankees and the Rays – and or the Blue Jays, and because that Blue Jays lineup is ridiculous, and I, I love that Buffalo Blue Jays team. But if they can find the guys to come in, allow this team to be competitive, I can deal with a couple of bad years. But you're right, Mike. They they got to get rid of those pieces. And, and the last point I'll make on that is you're right, Joe, 100%. Because when it comes down to it, even that Bobby Valentine year, all right, that team was garbage. They were awful. But you know what? they weren't that bad to watch because right. they had players like Cody Ross, they had players like Dustin still on the field. They had guys that actually gave a shit personality, personality, right? They had guys that you could actually root for. And that's something that's missing from this team right now. So I'm with you on that. So who would have thought we would have gotten the most fired up uh, about baseball when we haven't talked about it. I mean, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little excited about it, but I'm a little also a little disappointed. I also asked for Craig's thought on this and we all just kind of railroaded it. So Craig, go ahead. We are four baseball guys, but I would say that, you know, as far as it goes, uh, as far as the future looks, I feel better looking towards the future on, you know, the 2021, 2022 Red Sox than I have, you know, a month ago, two months ago, even last offseason, you know, High and Bloom is making small moves. They are impactful moves. They are – the future of this team looks a lot better than it did a short while ago. And the guys that come into Tampa and then go to other teams always seem to have some kind of success. Um, you know, it's it's kind of goes back to that minor league system thing, you know, that these guys kind of figure out how to do it with less money. And now you got to do it the same way, but now you can spend a little bit more to keep those guys around a little bit longer. I feel like we need to let Craig chime in more because he brings us back down to earth and actually makes us feel like we're talking about real baseball instead of getting fantasy baseball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also think that once Alex Cora comes back to the team, that the team <laughs> will, do, will, will do better. They'll oh, yeah. Better manager. I was excited about Ron Renneke at first, and I'm just like, you know what? Give me Alex Cora back. I mean, we can do a whole another pod on on the – the 2017 Astros and the 2018 Red Sox and all those scandals, but we're going to cut this one off here uh, as we've gone. Al- I will have to say, I'm looking forward to the day after uh, the world series when the season officially ends and Alex Cora is reintroduced as manager of the Boston Red Sox. It's going to be instantaneous. Yeah. And that'll be one of the, the points where I'm like, all right, John Henry, like I can, I, I feel you on this one. Um, so guys, we covered the NBA, the NHL, the MLB, and, uh, I know that next week we're going to touch on the NFL uh, as the NFL season begins on um, what, what is it? Thursday, the 10th. 
Um, we're excited about it. You know, we'll see. Everybody keeps saying we'll see how long this goes, but the, the MLB has kind of figured it out, and they've had some teams that have gotten in some trouble here. So Only four positive tests. Yeah, and 77 false positives. Um, <laughs> so I, that, that story blows me. Again, another pod. All right, don't get me off on a tangent. Okay, uh, guys, thank you for, for joining us here tonight uh, on the SNSW podcast, episode four. Um, again, we touched on the Bruins getting bounced, uh, the Celtics dominating the Raptors. Sorry, Bobby. Uh, and the, <laughs> and uh, the, the Red Sox seemingly off-season moves since they clearly aren't doing anything in-season. Um, we hope you enjoyed uh, listening to us rant and rave tonight. Uh, again, part two of the championship rewrap out now. Uh, so make sure you head over, uh, but make sure you catch part two of the rewrap. Uh, go download part one as well and give that a listen where we talk about the 2001 New England Patriots. Um, we'll be talking about the 2003 New England Patriots coming up here shortly. Uh, but guys, thank you again. Can't wait to talk about uh, the, the NFL uh, next week. And um, also I do want to plug it because it's going to be happening uh, after this is released, but uh, Thursday night, we're going to be on Facebook live doing our, our live fantasy football draft for the SNSW podcast, fantasy football league. It's kind of a fun one. We got, it's interesting. It's, it's a, what's that? It's such a long name. It is. Well, I know, I know, but that that's it's okay. That's what makes it more fun. Uh, so guys, again, thank you for joining us here tonight on the SNSW podcast. Um, we'll uh, get back to talking with you on Thursday night during our fantasy draft. Uh, we'll be back next week talking uh, NFL preview and uh, for Michael Mark Angelo, Bob Kelly, and the best uh, EP that in the game. I was, was going to say that we could find again. I don't know why I go to that. But the best EP in the game, I'm Joe Malkin, your host. That makes me feel like less than. No, you're the best executive. This concludes episode four of the SNSW podcast. As Joe mentioned, I am Craig Delisander, executive producer of the SNSW Network. If this is your first time finding us, welcome. We're thrilled to have you here with us. The show notes and the transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. Please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you generally find your podcast. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Follow us on social media. All of our links will be in the show notes. For all of us here at the SNSW Podcast, I'm Craig D'Alessandro. Thanks for listening. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. 
my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.